Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can uh, come uh, together and hear your word and understand what life's about because you've revealed that to us. So as we consider what it is to be uh, mature uh, as a Christian, we, we ask that you'll help us not just to hear it, but by your spirit, you will transform us so that we can live for you. Amen. You may like to keep the outline um, on, on a page number that's in, in the book on page six uh, there, and that kind of gives you an idea of where we're heading. Um, most of the time we'll be at point one, uh, I think, but we'll see how we go. Now, I mentioned earlier when we started off the service today, why we're doing this series. We're doing it because we're a church community that actually wants to follow Jesus, not just on our own whim, not on what we determine Jesus should be like. We actually want to follow Jesus as a church with one mind, where He sets the agenda. And that's why we've had a, had a particular focus, where we want to bring glory to God, where we want to be image bearers, where we acknowledge that we can't do it and we need God's grace. And as the end of that uh, clip said, that, the, 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 that God's followers have got the charge of sharing that good news. And we talked and thought about how our heart, that Christ's love compels, is our heart to want to do that. Well, why today... Do we think about growing in maturity? Well, let me ask you, um, at what age did you decide you got all mature and grown up? What age do you reckon? Some say to me, never. I, some might say, it's when I stopped dreaming of being a professional athlete, which means last week I finally became mature when I've given that dream away, finally. Maybe it's when you got your license. Maybe it's when you bought a house. Maybe it's you've got a job after uni. That's when you've become mature. Maybe it's when you got your first girlfriend. Maybe it's when you stop making jokes about bodily functions. I'm not mature at all then. So, what is it? What is it that makes you mature? Well, today is all about seeing that being a Christian is not kind of stagnant. It's about growing, and we need to understand what that looks like. And I want us to consider that there are two essential aspects of Christian maturity. And to understand that, I think the question we'll always ask is, is what does Jesus want me to do with my life? What does He want me to do with my life? These when we ask that question, I think hopefully today you'll see that there's two things. There's two ways you can put it, if you like, over many different ways. And we can't leave either of them behind. The first is responding to the gospel for salvation. In other words, another way of putting it is you need to be genuinely converted. The gospel needs to save you. 
the gospel, the good news, the declaration of a king that we saw in that clip, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. And that's why we uh, had 1 Corinthians 15 read to us, if that's open in front of you. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 2, By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Paul is telling the Corinthians. A church that's really wrestling with Christian maturity, it's a place that's pretty messed up. If you read all the chapters before, there's lots of things that Paul's had to help them think about how they're to live in light of this gospel. And that gospel message in verse 3, which was passed on to them, was that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That the Christ, the promised King, would come. The Anointed One would come. He is going to bring in the Kingdom. What we saw when we did Mark's Gospel um, throughout our, our first weeks, the King is coming. The King who brings the Kingdom, who does it in a very different way. He died for our sins. This king gives up his life. The gospel is the news about that. The gospel is the news that there is one who's promised he's the king and he's going to be the king and he's going to be shown to be the king in a totally different way. He's going to die in your place. He's going to die for all of the problems of the world. He's going to take your sin as the Scriptures have been promising. And He is a King who reigns, and so He's living because He's shown His authority, He has the victory, He's raised from the dead. That is the Gospel. In a phrase, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Jesus is the promised King. He is the one who rules over all. He even conquered death. And He saves. He saves through that conquering death. You see, if you're not on board with that, the rest of the talk is pointless. If you're not on board, on board with that, how can you possibly grow as a Christian? And yet, tragically, sometimes that's what some people seek to do. Let me ask you, is anyone, can anyone drive a truck? A big truck? Corolla? Tim? No? Some of you, can anyone drive a car? Yeah, good. You got a license here? Now, who hasn't got a license? Ben, yeah, okay, we'll go with Ben. Ben, now, if I was to say to you, Ben, guess what you're going to do tomorrow? You're going to jump into one of those big ice, you know those TV shows, those crazy TV shows and those ice truckers where they go on these crazy roads, it's impossible, it's dangerous. You're going to get to drive one of those tomorrow. You're going to go down the mountains and the hills. You haven't got your license. It's all right. You'll be good at that. That'll be fine. No, no, Ben, you will probably die. Those roads are horrendous. Those trucks are impossible to drive. I don't know how people possibly drive them. I wouldn't even think that um, Tim and Corolla are up to that standard yet. Maybe. Uh, Corolla's rating it. But <laughs> There's a maturity that you get with your licence even. You get a P's and you're not up to the next level, but you've got to get a licence first. 
to say, I want to I live for God without being saved is just ridiculous. Kind of like sending Ben to his doom in one of those trucks on a dangerous road. To grow in Christian maturity, you need to be saved by God. And it's Jesus Christ who brings God's grace, the gospel of grace. That, that um, second reading that we had today, which we'll look into a bit depth um, in a moment, starts off with Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared. God's grace. The thing that he gives us that we don't deserve, ha- deserve has appeared. Jesus, the gospel, him himself has appeared. It's God's grace that we don't deserve. We need to remember all Christian maturity still relies on grace at every level. And if you're not a Christian, or if you've been living, kind of trying to be living the Christian life in whatever way, whether that's been coming to church or in doing other things, you need to realise you're driving on that icy road. And instead what you need to do is realise that you need to respond to the gospel that saves you by acknowledging that Jesus has done everything for you first. It kind of seems obvious, and you probably could go with me if you've been here at Grove for a while. Yep, you've been banging on this for a while now, Michael, pretty much every week. We're talking about maturity now, let's just get to that bit. But we can't. Because we need never to move on from Jesus. And we need to make sure we've come to him rightly in the first place. When Jesus came, right at the beginning of Mark's gospel, can anyone remember what we kept on saying he said at the beginning of his gospel? He said, the kingdom is near. And what do you do if the kingdom's near and you you respond by what did he say? Repent and believe. Repent and have faith. Believe and have faith. Trust in, trust in this kingdom. Trust in the king who brings it in, who dies for you. The only response, the only way you can be mature is if you trust completely in the king who has died for you and turn back to him. See, repentance and faith or repentance and belief are the same thing. They're two sides of the one coin. Repentance is the turning back to God when you were away believe or trusting faith is actually depending on as you're looking towards him that is what you need to do maybe that's where your you start today make sure you do i'd love to chat to you about it but is that all there is is that all there is to it well no one of the biggest problems we have, I think, is that we sometimes can be challenged to think. I wonder whether you've ever thought this, that living a life of saying, I trust in Jesus and I do some Christian things is, is what's needed. Any living for Jesus, any commitment to Jesus, well, that's just a bit of an added bonus for me, or even more horrendously, for God. I'll give you a bit more, God. See... The Olympics, the first year that I can remember that I really haven't cared that much about the Olympics and my kids are really passionate about it, so I'm probably going to get dragged back into it again. 
But it's not about just getting to the Olympics. Imagine, even if you don't like sports, if you can pick one, what event would you go to if you could choose? If you could be an Olympic athlete, you could be in Rio right now, which one would you be in? What would you say? You're some yeah? Diving. Diving's pretty spectacular. Wow, I get so dizzy doing all those spinning. I, I could never do that. Diving. What else? Golf, of course, absolutely golf. It might only be this time because they've totally ruined it, but anyway, swimming, absolutely. Swimming, let's take swimming for an example, okay? Swimming, you have done all your training. Swimmers are ridiculous. They get up at five o'clock in the morning, sometimes earlier, every day before they go to school as the kids, and they, they train and they train. They are so ridiculously fit. They do all this effort. They get to the Australian trials, they come first or second, and they make it. And from that point on, instead of getting up at five o'clock in the morning to go to the swimming pool, they get up at about nine o'clock and go to McDonald's every day of the week. And then they rock up to Rio and jump in the pool. Instead of winning, they sink because they're unfit and not able to compete properly. It's not just about being part of it, if you're an Olympian. Any Olympian will tell you that. They're trying to do the best that, that, that they can. Christianity is not just about saying, I'm going to heaven. You see, the second point is, the gospel that saves you by grace, transforms you. Notice that it's not, and then something else saves or transforms you. It's still the gospel that saves and transforms you. I want us to consider that just by three different angles, just to kind of emphasize the point. First of all, it's by what we looked at the first week when we saw the, how important grace was. You know that, that classic verse in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, uh, 2. Chapter 2, verse 8, sometimes verse 9 gets added in. It goes like this. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Full stop, the end, great verse, that's how I'm saved, God does it all. But that's not where this little section ends. Verse 10 is so important. Chapter 2, verse 10, after you are saved by grace, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, it's not saying, oh, the grace thing wasn't exactly right, you actually do have to do stuff to earn your salvation. It's saying because you've been saved by grace, God has done that because He wants you to do good works in Jesus. He's, he's wanting you to do what He wants. Heaven is not just going to the theatre where you sit in a seat and you enjoy the show. Instead, as we're longing for heaven, where we're living it in glory forever, we now do good works because we know our eternity is a life of living perfectly. God prepared in advance for us to do. 
This was always the intention. The message of the gospel isn't that Jesus wants you to get into heaven. The message of the gospel is that God is, uh, Jesus is Lord and Saviour so that you will live for Him. So we have good works that are with grace. We also have to see that the gospel, that is Jesus and what He's done, we need to be like Him. I don't know if you can think of uh, anywhere in the Bible where it talks about how Christians are to be like Jesus. There's a few classic ones. There's a, uh, well, there's the idea of just being like God, just even more generally in um, Ephesians, um, be imitators of God. In 1 Peter, uh, Peter says in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, um, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And then the one I wanted to uh, just focus on today is in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Do you know about Philippians 2, verse 5? In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That is, think like Him, so you can be like Him. It's about being transformed into Jesus by the Holy Spirit. It's actually being like Him. This isn't for the great Christians. This is for all Christians. And the passage goes on to talk about how Jesus humbled Himself. I'd love to go into it in depth, but we're not going to today. We will another time. He humbled Himself onto a cross. The very gospel act that makes him king is the very thing that you're to think about that's to shape how you live. His sacrificial, humble service. That is how we're to think. Our whole way of thinking about Christian maturity needs to be transformed from thinking we've got a whole bunch of do's and don'ts in the Bible. We've got a whole bunch of commands. Sometimes there are commands and they're good. And When God says do something, you do it. But we even think of them in light of the fact of we're being transformed into being like Christ. And that's their intent. So we've got grace that always comes with uh, uh, works for us to do. We've got the attitude is that we're to think like Jesus so we can be like Him. And actually, lastly, the Titus passage we had read, the gospel of grace teaches us how to live. Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live for self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You can see it at the, at the end there, can't you? That he is purifying us to create a people who want to do good. But I love the way verse 11 and verse 12 go together. The grace of God, his salvation has appeared. Jesus, and it's the offer of salvation to all people, Him giving something we don't deserve through His death. That 
the salvation act itself teaches us. That is, it's what informs our mind so we can learn how to live. And he even points out, it helps us see the negative of what not to do. It teaches us to say no to the way we kind of naturally live with our sinful desires. No to ungodliness and worldly passions. He's saying you live away from your sinful heart because it's being transformed. And you live self-controlled and upright and godly lives. The grace of God has appeared Jesus. Think about Jesus for a moment. Did Jesus say no to ungodliness at every turn? From that moment he went into the desert and took down Satan by the, the words of God, he turned from any temptation and lived a perfect life. His life showing us how to live did he desire worldly passions above his father's desires he never once did did he live a self-controlled and upright life consider how self-controlled jesus was when everyone is taking him down and it's so hard to do that isn't it when others are taking you down in whatever way of life and we get snappy or we get angry or we want justice and retribution and Jesus lived a self-controlled, upright and godly life. I don't think it's a mistake that Paul finishes this little bit here with, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. We're to learn about how we live by our redemption. By our being freed. This whole idea of giving of yourself, of self-sacrifice, is so important. Uh, that's what next week's all about. Serving one another is what the Christian life is about. It's kind of like maturity part two next week in a way, as we focus in on that. You see, the Christian life is about being committed to living for God because He saves. I remember when this became clear for me, when grace became clear for me, and I hadn't got this clear in my head, and I was challenged. I hadn't really discovered Titus 2. I kind of knew verse 10 of Ephesians, but it hadn't clicked, and, and I didn't really know about living like Jesus. When I understood grace, and I went and had a, a chat to um, a family uh, a family friend, a, a priest that was a family friend of ours who we knew well and, and I had a, a friendly relationship with him. It was, it was, um, he was very kind to me in the time he'd, he'd spent talking with me about things. And I explained this idea of grace to him and his response to me, I'll remember it as clear as day. All you've just said is now you've got a license to do whatever you want if God's done it all for you. If grace is how you're describing it, you can just do whatever you want now because you're already in. It's kind of a good argument. If it's not for understanding why we were saved. And who it is that convicts our hearts to believe in Him in the first place and to transform our hearts. God Himself, the Spirit convicting us. We are led by the Spirit. We, we look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, and we, we'll see that more next week as well as we think about God as a whole, uh, Trinity. It was challenging, 
if we understand these passages and actually what all of the scriptures are saying to us, where Jesus is bringing everything united under him, it's profoundly wrong. Because we're freed so that we can live for Jesus. I, uh, I love some quotes about uh, faith and trusting uh, in, in God and how it goes with how you live. Uh, I, I picked four of them. I wanted to put them all up. I think they're, they're all up on the screen one by one, um, if they come up, Andrew. Uh, it is faith alone that justifies, but the faith that justifies is not alone. Uh, John Calvin, the great uh, uh, reformer, said. Uh, more recently, um, uh, Packer in England, who's um, uh, passed away recently, has written some great things, said something very similar. What saves is faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. One of my favourites, J.C. Ryle, a bishop in Liverpool in the 1700s, 1800s, uh, he said, if we would know whether our faith is genuine, we would do well to ask ourselves how we are living. And Billy Graham, if you know, who's had such a great influence in the modern era and has a massive impact on Australia and in our history um, of the gospel, he said, faith that saves has one distinguishing quality. Saving faith is a faith that produces obedience. It is a faith that brings about a way of life. Do you notice there how they're all saying, what the Bible is saying is that it's still always just trusting in Jesus because he's done everything, but it comes with a life. Grace is not sacrifice, but grace comes with a life. If that's uh, what you take away from today, that would be good. Because that will help you, if you bring that to God, commit to wanting to change, to grow in maturity for Him. So as we uh, get near to wrapping up, what does maturity look like? I've got four things here that I could just go on about what. Uh, but let me just bring them before you before we uh, wrap up with a couple specifics about Trinity Grove. What does maturity look like? Well... As it says on the uh, banner over there, relying on the Bible and prayer. Let's be clear, the Bible is the Word of God. It is sufficient for salvation and life. And we depend upon it in everything. And if we're in relationship with God and He reveals Himself to us, and if you want to say that the Bible is God talking to us, this relationship, He wants us to relate to Him for our benefit and the joy that we have of being included in a relationship with God, we talk to Him. We pray. As we live by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. Secondly, maturity, what's it look like? It's understanding it's God who transforms us. I hope you've picked that up already. And I don't need to labour that uh, any further. It's not contra to grace. We don't want to make your Christian life about performance. My, my reflections of all the great things that the Christian schools do, and they're brilliant in, in many ways, one of the challenges from my life um, in kind of a Christian school and in um, others I've seen around me is 
the search in education for performance and excellence while teaching about Christianity confuses kids into thinking that the Christian life is about performance. And that's good Christian education will kill that and show them that the Christian life is about living in grace. It's not about performance. Don't make your maturity about performance in your life. This year, I need to do this little better. And then God will be more pleased with me as if I'm going to earn my way into something I already have. You just want to live for God because you like it when He's pleased that people are becoming more like His Son. What does maturity look like? It's being taught by the gospel. We don't separate the cross and our morality. This is one of the great tragedies of the church, I reckon, when we get to Jesus and we say something like, you know what, I think the church needs to move on from Jesus and grow up a bit and be a bit more mature in the decisions that it makes about ethics, about the world, about, about uh, moral decisions, social justice. All of those things I just mentioned, we do live in light of the gospel. That's what informs it. As soon as we separate how we live from Jesus, we're doing the opposite of what all those uh, great guys of the past have said in those quotes. We're taking our faith and not letting it accompany obedience or works or however you want to say it. And lastly, what does Christian maturity look like? Well, it, it always looks like you avoid the biggest disaster. Not loving Jesus on His terms and accepting His grace. There are four things for you to reflect on and maybe to consider. We need to make sure we keep doing those at Trinity Grove. So as we finish, what does it mean to be a member of Trinity Grove? Well, it's kind of built into the way God has uh, set up His, his church uh, now, before eternity, is that we come together. Christian maturity isn't about, we don't think about coming together on a Sunday as a ticking of the box, or as a, I need to do it for the sake of doing it. Or I'm not getting anything out of it, so I don't need to come because I, I just don't get anything out of it. We do it because actually it's what God wants us to do. We don't do this Christian maturity thing in a silo by ourselves. We do it together, which is what next week's all about. Right? Community groups are even a great opportunity for that as well because community groups actually give you the opportunity to share further God's Word, to wrestle with the ideas of living for God in more depth, to ask for prayer, to rely on the Bible more, to, to be willing to sit under God and be transformed by Him. What does it mean to be a Trinity Grove member? Also, I was thinking today, even though we might not have many of them at the moment, we have an unswerving commitment to young people because we want generation after generation understanding grace and living for God. And so when we do our all-ages spots, when we have our times out there, when we're with young people, whether that be little kids to teenagers to whoever... We're modelling grace. 
we're wanting to encourage them to live for Jesus and not confuse them by trying to keep on telling them that they need to do all these things to make God happy. We have a commitment to young people at Trinity Grove. And last thing I want to say is that I think of any church that follows Jesus, we are wanting to be willing to change and change together to be like Jesus. That's the commitments that I want to bring before you today in light of the fact that Jesus is our Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks. We give you great thanks that we we get to live for you. If we do have a little bit of that, oh, I'm just, I, I believe in Jesus, I'm okay and I can move on attitude, transform us from that because there's something better. A life of seeking to please you. Help us to do that never surpassing the grace that is given to us in your son. Help our faith that is alone to never be alone. In Jesus' name, Amen.